Hello, this is David Sangster, lead pastor at New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today for our podcast. It's our goal to help you grow in your faith and discover all that God has for you. I hope you're encouraged, challenged, and inspired. Enjoy the message. Ah, it's such a joy to be here this morning. My son was so excited. When we pulled into the parking lot, he said, we're going to church in a mall? Yeah. And I said, yes, we can go to church anywhere. And my oldest son goes, remember in Africa, we go to church in a house? <laughs> so we we're excited. He was so excited all the way to the children's program. I can't believe we're in a mall. So we are so excited to be here with you guys. Um, we are Jeffrey and Stephanie Woods. Um, 15 years ago, Jeffrey and I went as single missionaries to Africa. I grew up in Texas, a little bit away from here. Jeffrey grew up in Manchester, Connecticut, not too far from here. (laughs) So uh, we went to Africa. We didn't know each other, and we met over there. We met in Khartoum, Sudan, working uh, on an unreached, on a, sorry, a church planning team for the unreached, and uh, met, fell in love, got married. We've had three beautiful children. Titus is nine years old on the front row. Nathan is six and Hannah is four. They've all been born in Africa in our time of um, ministry. And so we are just so thankful for how God has brought us together and all that he's done in our lives and our little journey. But for the last 10 years, our family has been working on a group of islands called Comoros. Comoros is off the east coast of Africa. It is in between uh, Mozambique and Madagascar. There are four little islands And it is beautiful, it's tropical, it's humid, it's hot, there's beautiful beaches, the people are just lovely, they're very hospitable, they bring our family in, and we're just so thankful to work there. But the reason why we're there is because Comoros is 99.9% Islamic. There are zero churches that that we know of or that we've ever heard of in this country. There's very limited access to the gospel, even the scripture is just now being translated into their local language. We're very excited that when we went, there was only one book of the Bible translated. Now we have over eight books of the Bible translated and four that are in process. Praise Jesus. The Lord is making his good news known to Comorians. He's making it accessible for them. So what does it look like to church plant in a Muslim nation? It's illegal to be missionaries where we are. So how do we go about this? Our personal, my husband and I, we get the the privilege of leading a church planning team. We get to pastor that missionary team. We also run a business because we can't be missionaries there. And we get to tell people about Jesus every day. So that's what it looks like a little bit for us personally. But I wanna take you just quickly on an eight-step journey of what does it look like to plant the church in a Muslim nation. Well, step one, you gotta go. So in 2012, we went. It was my husband and I and one other team member. Today, in 2022, we're really excited that our team has now grown from those three people to 14 adults, 15 adults, and 11 children. And we're really excited about our church planting team because now we are at this place that we are now going to plant another church planting team out of our team. We're about to send three of those adults off to another island to start another church planting work. We're very excited about that. Also, when we went to Comoros in 2012, we had no idea how we were going to be able to stay there. We didn't know what business to start. We didn't know how immigration was going to give us visas and not allow us to stay. And so we began to pray and we began to feel led that we were supposed to open an adult English center. And so 
in 2015, after three years of going to government offices and trying to figure out what God wanted us to do, we opened up our English center and we had six students on grand opening day. It was exciting after three years of working. But today in 2022, we have been blessed by the favor of God and we have over 500 adults coming through our center every year. So step one, you have to go. And when I say you have to go, that took us five years of going and getting all that set up. Step two is what you got to do before you go while you're there, whether you live in Enfield, Connecticut, or you live in Comoros, this is what we do. We pray and we abide in Jesus. We can't face the strongholds of Islam. We cannot push back any darkness in our life or in anybody else's life if we are not in the presence of Jesus and clinging to his word. We learned so much about depending on Jesus. In 2020, that wonderful year that we all remember, our team took 40 days to pray and to fast. See, at that point, we've been on the island for over eight years. We've seen very little fruit, and we just were constantly reminded that we cannot face Islam alone. And so we began to, to, we just took time away from language learning, away from community time even. We just spent time in the presence of Jesus, and we prayed and we fasted for 40 days as a team. And in those 40 days, God reminded me and reminded us again that he's the one who changes hearts. We had six Muslims come to our door, knock on our door and say, we want to know about Jesus. We want to study the Bible. Individuals came to different ones of our teams and asked to study the Bible. And God said, see, I'm the one who does it. We just are faithful and God does it. Step three, we have to learn language and culture, and that's what we work on every day, constantly asking questions of Comorians. How is it that Jesus is going to meet them? Constantly studying their language, which is an oral language. It's not even written. It's, it's all kinds of fun. Step four, we just get to tell people about Jesus. We can't be missionaries where we are, but we can be Jesus followers. We can be Jesus followers wherever we live, and that can impact the way we talk to people. We can share what Jesus did in our life that day. What did we read in his word? What did he speak to us when we were talking to him? And we share that with Comorians daily. And step five is where it gets really, really exciting. Step five is that we have seen Comorians decide Jesus is worthy, and they've laid down their lives, and they've just accepted him as Savior. And we're so, so excited that we've seen these people come to know Jesus. But with that, we had a problem. That's kind of weird. People come to know Jesus, and you have a problem. Well, we couldn't figure out how to bring this group of people together. We were seeing one person here and one in this village and one on this side of town come to know Jesus. They don't trust each other. They don't know who's secret police, who's going to tell on them, what's, who's going to go to their village and tell their family what they're doing. So we began to pray, God, what do we do? And so God spoke to us, and he told us to go to a believer. He's been a believer for over 10 years. And to ask him if he would be willing to lead this group of Comorians, because we didn't want these Comorians also to believe that Jesus is just an American Jesus. We wanted them to see Jesus is a Comorian Jesus too. He's for all people. And so we went to Farouk and we asked him if he would lead this group, and to his own risk, he was so excited. He said, yes, I would love to meet people who want to know about Jesus or already accepted him. And so he's been leading a Bible study every Friday for the last year. There's been a Bible study going on, and he's been leading them. He's He learns a Bible study. Uh, 
a Bible story with us, and then he goes and he shares it with this group, and he's teaching them how to pray. He's teaching them how to follow Jesus. He's teaching them how to be a community, and we're so excited. So that's where we're at in this journey to see a church on Comoros. We're with this group that's meeting and having this Bible study, but we're so excited because when we come back in another four years or maybe another four years after that, we know we're going to have more to tell because Jesus will plant his church in Comoros, and we're this close to seeing that little Bible study becoming the first church in Comoros. And it's not just going to be one church, but it's going to be a network of house churches across Comoros. We're so excited that we just got a report from one of the believers. He was meeting with one of our team members and he said, you know what? We don't just need one of these groups. We need them all over in every region of the island. And he said, you know what? After we do this, this is a Comorian who just got saved last year. He said, after we see churches in this in every region of the island, then we need to start sending Comorian missionaries to Qatar and to Saudi Arabia because they need to know about Jesus too. And it's not going to just stop with one church or just a couple of churches. We won't stop until we see the first Comorian missionary going out into all the world to preach the gospel because the gospel never stops with us. It always goes forth because it's good news. Thank you so much for having us. I'm going to invite my wonderful husband up. He's got all the really good stories. Good morning. It is a joy and pleasure and honor to be with you. We love the church. We love the church. We love the church wherever it exists. And why my wife and I are home in the States, we, we do a lot of church hopping. We don't do church shopping, but we do church hopping. And we are in a different church almost every Sunday. And so it is a joy to be with you guys. We love the church so much that we've left the U.S. because we feel like God wants these people in Comoros to have a church. So we are big believers of, of the church. Enjoy every ounce of goodness you have as being part of God's local fellowship. Remember, you are God's strategy for a lost and broken world. This, this country, all countries, God works through his church. Enjoy being part of a community of believers. You have a wonderful thing here. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for every morning. We thank you that your, your mercies are new every single day. We thank you that you are good and trustworthy and loving and kind and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love, and we can trust you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're coming back and that you are for us and not against us. We thank you that our eternity is with you, Jesus, forever and ever. And we look forward to that day. And Lord, until that day, we want to steward every single moment well. And so we ask for that ability right now over this service. And as we go out of here today and this week, Lord, help us to steward your gospel and the time and energy you've given us well. In your name we pray. Amen. I want to read this morning from Numbers chapter 13, and we're going to go over into chapter 14. Um, it's one of my new favorite stories. It's an old story, but I, I change my favorite Bible verse pretty much on a weekly basis. Um, Numbers 13. And it's a little bit long, but I want to read the whole thing because there's such good detail in it, okay? So it's a story of 12 spies, which my wife and I, we love this story because in Comoros, we are often accused of being spies, all right? And when you look at me, you're, you're like, you're clearly not a spy. And that's true. They don't choose short, portly people to be spies. Um, but if they did, I'd fit in. Um, but people all the time, they're like, you're American, you're CIA, no. You're FBI, no. NCIS, no. Like, we just love Jesus. We're not spies. But 
Spies are biblical, so if we were spies, I'm not saying we are, but if we were, it'd be fine. All right, so if you remember, Abram or Abraham got this blessing from the Lord and this covenant. He was to bless all nations, and he would have children like the sand of the seashore and all this stuff. Then you get Isaac, uh, you get Jacob, you get all these these children. You you get uh, Joseph with his coat of many colors, and he ends up saving the nation of Israel by bringing them down into Egypt, which then leads to them getting enslaved in Egypt, And then you get Moses, and you get Aaron, and you get uh, plagues, and then you get miracles, which we sang about earlier. Um, And the the Red Sea parts, and they go out of Egypt, and they're saved, and they're redeemed, but yet they're still in the wilderness. And because way back in the beginning with Abram, God gave him this promise of this land, and, and it passed down through the different patriarchs. And they knew they had it coming, but they hadn't received it yet. So they had, they had left slavery. They had seen miracles in the wilderness. And they saw cool miracles, right? Like the, the Red Sea parts. They had a cloud. They had a pillar of fire. They had f- food that miraculously appeared time and time again. And then on one day of the week, it wouldn't appear. And like miracle after miracle. They had shoes that wouldn't wear out. Okay, so they're traveling through this wilderness, and their shoes don't wear out. That would be really bad for shoe companies today. But in that day, it worked. And it was just this sign of God was with them. He was taking care of them. And he loved them because they were his people. But none of that was the pinnacle because the pinnacle was they were getting the promised land. All right. So they go through the wilderness for a while. They come to the Jordan River, another body of water. They're on the other side of it. They're looking across the river, promised land. It's there. It's theirs to inherit. And we get this story, okay? Listen very carefully to the details in the story, and then we're going to look at it. At the end, so Numbers 13, starting in verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation, and they showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. So quick aside, that just means all the enemies had all the good property, all right? So it's just swarming with enemies. Verse 30, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses, and he said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And the people that we saw there are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. Verse 1, chapter 14. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we have died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. 
Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the, all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Verse 10. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I love this story. I love all the detail, and I, I can picture being in it and seeing the back and forth. I love the description. I love the perspective we get. Um, you have 12 spies, 12. They all go across the same river. They, go, they all go into the same land. They all eat the same food, sleep in the same places, risk the same risk, sacrifice the same sacrifice. They all have the same job to do, and yet when they come back across the river, 10 of them see it one way, and two see it very differently. Why? What was different about the two? Joshua and Caleb. And in this story, we don't even get the ten's name, although I think we get it elsewhere. But these are 12 leaders of Israel, and yet they come back with very different reports. We're going to look at this for a second. But before that, I want to visit this idea of promised land. Promised land is throughout Scripture. And Israel had this actual geographical piece of land they were going to get. It was promised to them. But I think if we look at our lives as believers today, there's, a, there, there's multiple promised lands we have. I think God promises, promises us different things. For some of us, it may be a piece of land. It may be a job, a relationship. It may be some gift he wants to give you. It may be something that's coming in the future that we just have yet to take hold of. But it's what God has for us, and it's for us to inherit. The thing about inheriting is we don't deserve it, and we don't really earn it. We're just given it. And when it comes to the Lord, we are given it by a very good father. A very good father. But there's another promised land, right? We have eternity with Jesus. That's a promised land that's coming. And shame on all of us if we ever forget that. That keeps us going in this life. That means we can deal with whatever comes our way because we know that at the end of it, we are with Jesus forever and ever and ever and ever. And Jesus is our promised land. But I think there's another promised land that the New Testament talks about, and it's the nations. The Old Testament talks about it as well. God has always desired the nations. Not just one nation. Israel was always tempted to think, it's about us. It's about us. They were blessed to be what? They were blessed to be a blessing. That same thing seeps into every country we visit. Now, it's not just an American issue. In America, we think, oh, this is about us. Well, when you go to other countries, they think they're the pinnacle of creation. And it, the gospel exists for them but it's for all nations. And friends, there are so many nations that have nothing when it comes to the gospel. So many nations. But God doesn't just care about all the nations. He cares about all the people in the nations. So there are many people here in Enfield or in the greater Hartford or Springfield area who have no gospel. And God cares about them just as much as he cares about the people where we serve, where there's no church. God loves 
people. And so we have a promised land that we have yet to inherit. But church, how do we do it? How do we inherit what God has for us? I think this text shows us a couple of things. Number one, purpose. Purpose. We are blessed to be a blessing. When we, when we read the story of Scripture, it's not about Jeffrey Woods. It would be easier if it was for me, but not for you. It would be terrible for you. Um, but I'm not the pinnacle of my own story, and you're not the pinnacle of your own story. We are blessed to bless. God saves me from my sins, not so I can have eternity with him only, but so that I can fulfill whatever role he has for me. And we all have different roles. We all play different parts. But our story is the same. We are blessed to bless. Missions and life is rooted in purpose. One of the most intimidating things Pastor David can say to me is, hey, guess what? The kids are going to be in service, okay? You know why that's intimidating? Because I have some, all right? I've got, and one of them sitting over there next to my wife. And he's going to tell me afterwards what went well and what didn't go well. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, he can cover his ears for a minute. When I was a kid, when I was like his age, my reason for going to church is a little bit different than my reason right now. I went to church when I was his age because that's what mommy and daddy said was going to happen. And I had no choice in the matter. Now, sometimes I liked it and sometimes I didn't. My son walked in, you guys have donuts. Major win. Church I grew up in, we had donuts. It was good. Um, but you had to go through things to get to the donuts. You guys, we get them right away. Titus could walk out the door. Um, but while I, when I was eight or nine or ten, I went for one reason. Now that I'm a little bit older, I go for a different reason. Now my wife makes me. So that's different. Um, no, now I, now I go to church because I just love being with God's people. I love worshiping together. There's things that when I'm, in, when I'm with the body of believers, God just speaks to me in different ways. I just love it. And I know it's God's will for my life. I know it's what he wants. So my purpose in going to church now even isn't just what I get and what I feel, but it's the glory of God. I love going to church. My wife and I were missionaries. Some days our purpose is different than others. Some days it's just hard to get out of bed. People will ask, what, what's the hardest decision? Like it must have been so hard to get on that airplane. Getting on the airplane was the easiest thing we've ever done. Living for Jesus every day in a Muslim nation, that's hard. Getting on an airplane is easy. Once you get on, I mean, until today's world, unless you take your mask off, it's not, it's not turning around, right? Like that plane is going where it's going. Getting on was easy. Living for Jesus every day is hard. And it's the same here. Living for Jesus every day is hard. Making that one-off decision, it matters for sure. But we choose every day to follow Jesus. What is your motivation for living out your faith? Are you, are you feared, fearful of the wrath are you excited about the glory? Is it just old habit? Sometimes we get into things that are just, it's just habit. My wife mentioned this friend, Farouk, we have. This guy knows, differently than other island believers, he knows that he was blessed to be a blessing. In a place where persecution is real, people get put in prison, people get um, kicked out of their families. It costs something to follow Jesus. He says, I'm in, and I don't care who knows it. So this guy... God has been faithful to him every step of the way, right? So his mom lives, he's from a village, two, three hundred people, other side of the island, not much there. He goes over to the other side of the island, he visits his mom, he prays for his mom all the time, he asks other people to pray for his mom, he wants his mom to know Jesus. Something about his mom you need to know is, his mom's a witch doctor. She, she makes all her earnings, basically, by people who come and, and say, hey, will you put, uh, will you put, 
demonic powers or will you put curses on people? Will you help me pass? And it's usually with the women, okay? It's the grandmas who want to pass demonic powers down to the granddaughters and so on. And so she has all this power in the spiritual realm. So she's sitting in her living room one day, and Farouk walks into the living room, okay? Just a normal day. Farouk walks into the living room, and when Farouk walks in, the mom just falls over on the floor. Just falls over. Just hits the ground. Boom. Spends a second or two on the ground, sits up, goes, Farouk, what just happened? Farouk's looking at her. I don't know. The mom goes, every demonic power in me just left. Everything's gone. Everything. I have no power anymore. Farouk is like, Mom, that's the Holy Spirit in me. Way more powerful than all the demonic junk in you. Farouk wasn't praying. He just walked in full of the Holy Spirit and the demons left. And Farouk says, okay, I know Jesus is with me. Farouk's mom, still not a believer. But he says, I am blessed to be a blessing. Whether it's my mother, my village, or my nation, I will be a blessing. The blessing won't stop with me. That is our purpose, friends. But look, we have another thing. Second, we have perspective. What is your perspective? This text is full of perspective, all right? But before we get to the text, look at my friend here. When you see this guy, what's your perspective? All right? We are so good at seeing with our physical eyes. So we say, okay, he's African, he's Arab, he dresses differently. Based on how we're, we're often taught, Oh, okay, he's Muslim, or he, he looks Muslim by his, 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 uh, his headpiece and his, his robe, and we're taught to fear. Friends, our perspective with people can't be fear. Our perspective with people is love and opportunity. When I see this guy, I see him with compassion, but some of that comes from knowing, knowing him, but also knowing Jesus. Jesus changes our perspective. When you look at the world, what is your perspective? Is it fear and doubt and hate? Is it uneasiness? Or is it love, opportunity, compassion? That's how we're called to view people. Look at this text, okay? This text is full. So you've got 12 spies. They come back. They bring two reports. Ten bring one report. Two bring the other, all right? Here's what the ten say. They say, promise, all right? The ten, verse 27, it says, the land flows with milk and honey. That's true. They remember. This is rooted in the promise um, that Moses got at the burning bush. The two, you know what they say? The land flows with milk and honey. They have the same perspective on God's promise, which is very important. But from here, their perspectives go totally different. All right? Look at their perspective on people. The 10, verse 28 says, there are strong people living in fortified cities. There are giants in the land. The two, they say this. They say, don't be afraid of them. Look, their protection's gone. God is with us. That's a very different way of looking at things, right? If you look and you say giants, or you look and you say Jesus, that's a different way of looking at, a, at, an, at an opportunity or looking at a problem. What's your perspective? Look at their perspective on themselves. The ten say, we seemed like ourselves, we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. Grasshoppers, if you don't like animals or insects, you just kind of crush them with your foot. It's very easy. They like, that's how we view ourselves. We know that's how they view us. Look at what the two say. The two say, look, they are bread for us. We will devour them. 
modern day translation, those guys are the donuts you had when you walked in. We're going to dip them in coffee. We're going to eat them. We're going to get fat. Life is good. That's a different perspective. Look, donuts, ha, ah, grasshoppers. Very different perspective. But it matters, right? Look at their perspective on the fruit. The, it says they carried the fruit back. They set it down. It was before the people of Israel. The ten never mentioned the fruit, okay? The two. So the ten say, I don't care about fruit. Who cares about fruit? There's giants, okay? I get that perspective. As Christians, and I, I, it's not in the text, but I believe this is what the two said. This fruit, that's just a foretaste. That's a small example of all the beauty and wonder that we have coming up. This guy, when he, when he believes in Jesus, I don't look at him and say, we've arrived. I look at him and say, that's just a small bit of what God is doing. When I look around at you, I don't say, wow, we've pinnacled. I say, wow, God is doing a wonderful thing. And this is just part of it. This is just part of it. Look at their perspective on the Lord, okay? I love Jesus for so many reasons, but one of the reasons I love Jesus is because he can take our questions. So they say, why? Why is the Lord doing this to us? Elsewhere in Exodus, they say, they say, the Lord hates us. The Lord hates us. Friends, I don't know what is going on in your life, but I promise you the Lord doesn't hate you. And if that is the perspective you have right now, I pray with you that God would redeem that perspective. It's not from the Lord. It's from the evil one. Our perspective can never be, this is happening because God hates me. They say, let's choose another leader. After I leave here, if you guys have a coup and you throw out Pastor David, shame on you. But don't do it, okay? But wait till I leave, please. Don't do it while I'm here. It'll go very bad for me. All right? No coups. Um, I totally lost my train of thought. Uh, no coups. Pastor David... Good grasshoppers, donuts. Okay, yes. Um, God doesn't hate us. They looked and they said, I'd rather go back to slavery than take the promised land that God gave us. That is a crazy statement. They were in slavery. Then they got out of slavery and they were in the wilderness. And they were still right now camping. Camping's biblical. They were camping in the wilderness. And they still said, anything's better than the promised land. Why would you do that? Why? But friends, I think we do that too. We know what God has for us. We'd rather just stay in the security of the wilderness. We'd rather go back to what we know than to press on, even though it might be difficult, even though there might be giants. But like the two, forget the giants. Because that land flows with milk and honey. That is a good, good place. The two doesn't say the Lord hates us. Joshua and Caleb say the Lord delights in us. That is our testimony as believers. The Lord delights in us. Think about that for a second. The Lord of all creation delights in you. Now, some of you are sitting there and you're like, I own that. The Lord delights in me. Other you, others of you are struggling like, ah, uh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I do know what I'm talking about because I know the Bible. And the Bible says the Lord delights in his people. The Lord delights in his people. What is your perspective on the nations? There are so many nations with nothing. There are so many people in this nation with nothing. Church, 
I encourage you, be a church that is for all people, both here and all over the world. Enjoy what you have in Jesus and empower others to enjoy it. Last, if we have a purpose and we have a right perspective, it leads to the right role. We all play a role in what God is doing. Acts 1.8 says, wait in Jerusalem, you'll receive power from on high. You'll be my witnesses to all people, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. There's no such thing as an all-nations Christian or the ends of the earth Christian and a Jerusalem Christian. You can't say, I'm a Samaria Christian or I'm a Judea Christian. We are all, as Christians, we are all people for all people. Now, we play different roles. I live in Comoros. You live somewhere within driving distance of this place, I'm guessing. Okay? We all live in different places. We have different roles. My wife mentioned we got a team of 14 or 15. She also said we have 11 kids. We have 11, we have like 11.2 kids because we just found out one of our team members is pregnant. Um, so maybe 13, 12, whatever. Um, when, on our team, we serve very different roles. My wife and I, we lead the team. We lead it in very different ways. But we have lots of people on our team. Person number one, I won't say their names. Person number one is a gifted evangelist. evangelist. He's married to person number two, who's a gifted host. Those things go brilliantly together. Person number three is an older single guy who has access to older men in our community who I have no access to. I, don't, yeah, I haven't yet gone bald and I haven't yet gone gray, but I'm working on both, or rather my kids are working on both for me. Um, so I have limited access to people older than me. This is a society that is very hierarchical when it comes to age. And so I don't have access to this group. This guy gets right in. Loves to sit, sits in the common areas, just talks about Jesus. We got another guy. This guy's Swedish, okay? He's fantastic. He's got a scooter, and he scoots all over the island, and he just shows up in random villages, and he spends the night, and he'll, he just takes Jesus wherever he goes and just loves telling people about Jesus. Number five, this guy loves theology, missiology, books, and his beard, okay? He's very proud of his beard. I'd throw that in for no specific reason. But he loves that. He's an introvert to the max. He's a thinker. He's a strategist. He'll tell anyone about Jesus. His wife, just as gifted as he is, got two kids, spends most of her day outside with the two kids playing in the dirt with all the other moms with their kids playing in the dirt. And as she's sitting there playing in the dirt, she just tells people about Jesus. We all have different roles and different giftings. Some of us can win people to the Lord. Others can disciple. Others can pray. Others can sit home and encourage. We do different things. One of the most beautiful stories for this is a guy named Zamil. Zamil, my wife mentioned this period of 40 days of prayer and fasting. Zamil came to faith during that time. Okay? He comes, he knocks on our door, finds, comes, he knocks on our door and says, okay, listen, I'd like to know a little bit about Jesus. He learns a little bit about Jesus. Then he disappears. This happens all the time. Someone gets a little bit interested, then they get a little bit lost. Okay, so this guy goes away, and then all of a sudden, he has a dream. He goes to bed one night, he has a dream. In his dream, he sees Jesus. He knows this because he says, who on earth are you? And he says, my name is Jesus. And then Zemiel says, what are you doing? He says, I'm healing people. I'm making people clean. Would you like me to make you clean? He says, yes, I'd love for you to make me clean. I'd love for you to take away my sins. He's like, when you wake up, go find out about the people who know about Jesus. He wakes up. You know what he does? He goes and he finds out about the people who know about Jesus. Knocks on the door, says, Hodi, which means, I'm here, can I come in? They say, Karibu, which means, we know you're here, come on in. Sits down. One hour later, he gives his life to the Lord. And this guy is on a trajectory like this. 
just loves Jesus. He's now leading this group because the other guy traveled. He's hosting it. He's doing all sorts of wonderful things. But this is a wonderful story, I think, of how missions works. Because you need the missionary to move into the neighborhood. You need somebody to be there who can actually open their mouth and tell people about Jesus. And you need that person to be faithful to what you've asked them to do, or what the Lord has asked them to do. Then you need people praying. And I think one of the exciting things about going to heaven is we're going to find out all the ways that people had impacts on us or on this world that we never knew about through prayer. I can't wait to see it. I know that 40 days of prayer and fasting leads to this guy having a dream. Church, you know what you can do in Enfield, Connecticut, that you can do in Moroni Comoros? You can pray. Do not underestimate the influence you have on missions by praying and believing. Missionary, church, working together, and when that happens, the Holy Spirit shows up. Without this dream, I don't know where this guy is. The missionary goes, the church supports him, prays for him, enables him to be there, believes in him, and then the Spirit shows up and wonderful things happen. What is your role? What is your role in missions? Some of you guys know exactly what it is. Some of you have no idea. Ask the Lord. Ask your pastor. Ask each other. One of the great things about the Lord is he's creative. And there's all sorts of roles to play that we don't even think of. That we don't even think of. What is the Lord asking of you? How has the Lord designed you? Where has he given you gifts or passions or talents or abilities? Where does he want to pull you out of your comfort zone? We all play a role. Now, if you know the story of the 12 spies, you know that they went with the 10. They didn't go with the two. They went against Moses, Aaron. They went against Joshua, Caleb. And the people of Israel said, no, we don't want the land. 40 years back into the wilderness. 40 years. But when they did eventually get across, you know who crossed? The entire nation. So when you think about that, we think about warriors. You know who else crossed? Mothers with small children. You know who else crossed? The farmers and the livestock and the people carrying the heavy stuff. It wasn't just the warriors or the spies or the leaders who went out. Everyone crossed. And as they in, took that nation, that was God's gift to them. They all received it. Church, we all play a role. It's how God designed it. And it's beautiful. So Pastor David my wife, you guys, we do different things as the Lord asks us. But it's not just playing a role, it's being a part. It's a privilege to be part of what God is doing. And so we are excited. We are excited about what God is doing in this nation. We're excited about what God is doing in this church. We're excited about what God is doing in Comoros. And we're excited about what God will do through his church in this nation that doesn't have an unreached people group sending its own missionaries out to other unreached people groups. Because Jesus is on the throne and because Jesus is worthy of glory. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We praise you. We give you all the glory. We thank you that you're worthy of it. Lord, we thank you that you've given us the nations as your promised land. It's ours to inherit, to give right back to you. We thank you that in Revelation we see that all nations will worship before you through. And we look forward to that day where we could just get to be with you forever and ever and enjoy you in all your fullness. We love you, Jesus. 
have your way amongst us. In your wonderful name we pray.